Welcome back to the D3 Golf Guys podcast. All right, we got a great show for you tonight. We're going to go through some results here in the first half. But the second half, we're going to go through sort of the rankings and the try to t- start looking at where things stack up for a trip to nationals so that we can kind of give everybody a sense of, all right, early season, here's where we are before golf stat rankings come out in, in November. So we're going to try to give everybody a good view into sort of where things stand in some of the tighter places around the country. Also, don't forget, we've got a contest going right now. We need you to send us a video. The more active players you get, the better your score. And bonus points if you get your coach to participate. And send that in and and copy us on Twitter and Instagram. And we will choose the best one to come and do a live recording of the D3 Golf Guys podcast on campus with the teams there. We'll do a bunch of interviews and talk to everybody there. We'll have a great time. So don't forget to participate in our contest to have the live recording of the D3 Golf Guys on your campus earlier later this fall. Okay, now let's jump in and let's look at some recent results on the ladies' side. And let's... Flip the script and go out west first, where the Culture Aim Classic at Willamette Valley Country Club was contested, where, uh, not surprisingly, the George Fox University ladies ended up winning. They go 300 in day one and are three shots back of Pomona Pitzer, but they come back with a one under par 287 on day two to uh, take care of things by eight shots over Pomona Pitzer. Uh, Lewis Clark State finished third, Corbin University fourth, Whitman fifth, Whitworth sixth, Pacific Lutheran seventh, and Linfield eighth. Uh, uh, the top three players in the tournament were all part of George Fox. So Avery Kagayama uh, shot 72-73 for one over. Mackenzie Toole, last year's returning national champion from George Fox, shot a two over, 76-70. And then two players tied at tied for third. Leanna Brown from George Fox and Alexandra Schmidt from Lewis Clark State. Um, so really good playing out west. The Pomona Pitzer girls had two tied for uh, two tied for fifth, along with uh, an individual from George Fox. So uh, really really good playing. George Fox looks like they're the real deal out west. So we'll keep keep our eye on them. But you know they're uh, performing as we would expect. All right, now let's move west a little bit. And let's get to a conference championship that was conducted here in the fall. It's our friends in Minnesota. So the MEAC Women's Championship was held at Bunker Hill Country Club uh, in Coon Rapids, Minnesota, where the ladies from St. Kate's, otherwise known as St. Catherine University, uh, get out in front and stay out in front. Now, it was interesting. They had a little weather in the first round, so they only got nine holes in. But they get out in front early. Uh, in the round two with a 304, and then they shoot 303 the last day. They end up winning by 15 shots over the ladies from Gustavus Adolphus, who played very nicely as well. Bethel University uh, finishes third, Carlton College fourth, St. Benedict fifth, St. Scholastica sixth, Augsburg seventh, St. Olaf eighth, McAllister nine, and Concordia, Minnesota tenth. On the individual player side, uh, and Anna Tolufson from Bethel shoots an even par uh, score for the tournament. 
she shot 37 in the nine, 70, 73. Uh, so that's really good playing. She won by eight shots over Aaron Erickson from Gustavus Adolphus. Um, Emily Renner from St. Benedict and Kristen Miyagi from Carleton College, both uh, tied for third with Greta MacArthur from St. Catharines. Uh, St. Catharines had a solo six, J.C. Rhodes as well. So really good. You know, St. Kate's and, and Gustavus uh, separate a little bit. We'll, so St. Catharines is in the national championship later this May. Um, Gustavus with the second place finish there, doing fairly well. We need to kind of start looking at some of the pool pool C stuff there, which we'll get into a little bit later. But again, early on, I think where we're going to make our focus is going to be pool B um, and then start talking a little bit about conferences. So Gustavus right now is one of those schools where, okay, they finished second in conference. That means they have a leg up on a lot of the other teams in pool C, but it's going to be a matter of who'd you play and when did you play? So there's some big tournaments coming up later in this year that will help to make those kind of determinations. All right, let's go to a conference we haven't talked a ton about, and that is going to be the OAC preview, or the Ohio Conference. They're playing out at Rivers Green, excuse me, River Greens Golf Course in West Lafayette, Ohio. Um, so they're previewing their conference championship. Uh, Otterbein University ladies uh, get out in front early and maintain that, maintain that lead. They end up winning by 14 shots over Ohio Northern. Uh, Mountain Union finishes third. John Carroll finishes fourth. Muskingum fifth. Marietta College sixth. Baldwin Wallace seventh. Capital eighth. And Heidelberg nine. <clears throat> On the individual side, uh, Rachel Hatley finishes first with a really nice six over 74 76 from Otterbein. Uh, Grace Honigford from Ohio Northern finishes second. Alyssa Sch- Schwager from Marietta finishes third. Lindsey Blum from Otterbein finishes fourth. Rihanna Firmstone from Ohio Northern finishes fifth. Um, so really good playing, uh, you know, out there. Interesting. We'll keep our eye on the OAC. Um, Otterbein put their foot down early, but Ohio Northern's not that far off. It, they were they were only seven back both days, and you know a lot can change from fall to from the fall to the spring. So I think I think one of those two is probably going to win it. I mean, I'm leaning Otterbein right now, but again, we'll we'll watch in the spring. But right now, it looks like either Otterbein or Howe Northern is going to come out of the OAC. Okay, and lastly, but certainly not least, we had a really nice tournament up in the Northeast at a, anybody heard of this golf course, Taconic Golf Course in Williamstown, Mass. The Williams uh, College ladies hosted a tournament. Um, it was really good. Uh, Williams ends up winning. They go 300-290 the second day, which is really good playing. Um, they end up uh, just edging out by two shots, Amherst College. So, you know, Williams and Amherst are in the same conference up there in the Northeast. That'll be a battle. Either one of those two teams can can get the other one in a two-day span. So we'll keep watching there. Interesting, when I was watching earlier, Emory went up north to play in this. And when I saw it earlier, they, they had shot 312 and 314 and finished fourth behind NYU. Um, by the way, Holy Cross, the College of Holy Cross was their Division I team. They finished fourth or fifth, depending on what happened. But since then, Emory has uh, dropped off with their second round 314 in question as it did not finish. I think there's a potential DQ conversation being had somewhere. I don't know why. 
Um, I don't know what that impact was, but we'll figure that out as we get further along. Uh, but really great playing. Uh, two players tied for first. Jiho uh, Sio from Amherst. And I'm probably butchering names, so I apologize. And Tiani Zhuang from Williams. Both shot a three over total. Um, they went 71-74 and 74-71. And Janelle Jin from Amherst goes 71-76. And then the Williams ladies finished out with a fourth in Caitlin Utraldi and for, for shot 73-75. She was tied with Nalinda Wanakpen from NYU, 75-73. So an interesting tournament. You know, I think when you look at it, it's like, okay, Williams and Amherst are going to be really good. And one of those is probably good enough to make nationals from a pool B from a pool C perspective. Emory is in the pool B and we'll talk more about them, but you know, they've had a great, great fall. And it was kind of interesting that um, what I heard was, is they hadn't seen a golf course quite like Taconic, which, you know, to be fair, there's not a whole lot of them out there like that. There's a lot of golf course up there. Um, so we'll, we'll keep track of that, but those are our four ladies tournaments. We're going to highlight this week. Let's kind of shift over and talk a little bit about, where things stand from a national championship qualification perspective. Because that's, let's be honest, that's why most of you all listen to this podcast is to try to figure out where things stand in the nationals. Um, you know, if you look at the most recent Women's Golf Coach Association poll, they've got Carnegie Mellon at the top with Methodist 2, George Fox 3, Emory 4, Williams 5, um, Redland 6, Center 7, St. Kate's 8, Washington and Lee 9, NYU 10. I, I don't... I don't have many questions about that. Could you could you switch up five, six, and seven? Yeah, I, I really wouldn't have any issues there. When we talk, start talking about nationals, though, remember that there's automatic qualifiers. Then there's Pool B for people who aren't in an automatic qualifier conference. And then Pool C is for everybody that's left over. Well, in the women's game, most of the automatic qualifiers are going to be pretty easy to kind of call out. So... You know, right now, you know, Methodist has probably got the lead in the USA South, uh, Center College in the SAA, you know, Williams and Amherst, one of them is going to win their conference. So the women's side is not as much back and forth on Pool C because you don't have the clustering of teams in as many of the conferences. Pool B for women also is pretty simple right now. You've got Carnegie Mellon, Emory, and Christopher Newport. They're the top three Pool B teams in the in there, and there's really not another pool B team that's really challenging for the top 15 or so. You know, Christopher Newport in the last ranking was 17th. That's fine, but when you look at it, you know, there's just not that many other pool B teams that are in the top 25. Now, we still have to determine how many pool B and how many pool C teams are going to be coming into nationals, and there's a formula for that that the NCAA does, and I'm talking to you know, people who are in the know and, and they're going to make sure that I'm in the know so we can keep everybody informed. But there's a way of calculating once you have you know, like how many member eligible members are there and that's how many AQ should there be and then how many pool B and pool C teams, right? So there's a formula for all of that. I think right now on the women's side, you're looking at probably getting two or three pool B teams. And I, I'm pretty comfortable with where these things stand. I, I think Carnegie Mellon and Emory are clearly... The top two pool B teams, Christopher Newport is probably the is a third is in third place of that, and there's probably not anybody else that's really challenging in that space. So 
we'll keep our eye and we're supposed to hear pretty soon about what we think the qualifiers are going to be from a, how many, how many automatic qualifiers and who's going to be stuck in pool B and who's going to end up going to pool C. As we look at pool C teams, you know, again, we should be getting a fairly good amount of those, you know, kind of in and out of the tournaments. The interesting thing is remember last year was so restrictive because of COVID. We should have a full, a uh, full boat of teams in this year. So when I look at, uh, you know, the top 15, okay, well, Williams and Amherst are in there. They're the same conference. Pomona Pitzer and, and George Fox are in there. Okay, so there's two Pool C teams. Barry and Center are in there. That's in third Pool C team. But I keep looking around going, there's just not that many other ones. Um, Washington and Lee is in there. Okay, you know, Claremont Mud Scripts, West Coast, Okay, but when you start getting down to 18, 19, 20, that's where you start kind of getting into the, okay, pool C, right? So, like, if you're Rhodes College, the Rhodes College ladies, they need to figure out a way to get in front of Barry, right? It is You might not be able to get in front of center. Now, they can go in and win conference. That's one way to make sure you're in nationals. But at worst case, you need to kind of make sure that you're the second-place team in your conference to try to make sure that you're making your case for nationals. The other thing that needs to be happening is when you go to places like like Destin later this month and play in the golf week, who you beat really matters, right? So as you start to look at pluses and minuses, okay, Emory's got a lot of pluses on a lot of people. So even if they missed out on pool B, which I don't think they will, but let's just say they do and they fall to pool C, well, they came up to Denison's tournament earlier this year and cleaned everybody's clock. So they've got a big win on everybody else. So that'll be how, when we look at golf stat, you know, those pluses and minuses the one up you know the win loss ratio essentially is what that looks like from the head NCAA head to head rankings that's what really matters when we look at this so like I said I think on the ladies side you know I, I think we're in good shape I don't think there's a whole lot of stress going on within the national championship race yet I think once we get a little closer to conferences that's when we really start talking about pool C but there's not a lot of stress around Pool B and the ladies' side of things yet. When we get the final numbers of how many teams are going to be in, that's when we'll go back and start breaking things down. Because if we only get two Pool B teams in in the ladies' game, that will mean that one of those three that's in the top 17 of the country is not going to get in on Pool B, and they'll have to fall to Pool C. Now, that typically is okay in the ladies' group. But, again, that's how this process works, and that's also why the coaches – you know, stress so much about making sure that you kind of stay in the game and keep performing. Because again, you might not win the tournament, but if you finish, you know, in the top 10 at the NCAA preview of 24 teams, well, you've got to win over a lot of teams that are probably going to have a chance to be in nationals. And that's going to bode well for you kind of during the selection committee process. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about our friends at Titleist. Titleist, the number one brand in golf. And I've seen a whole bunch of Titleists in all my years around D3 golf. But the best thing they have going for them is the Titleist Pro V1 or Pro V1X. It's the best ball on tour. It's the best ball for college players. If you are a high-level player looking for the best golf ball around, there's nothing better than Titleist Pro V1 or Pro V1X. Get yours today. Okay, let's switch over to the men's side, and let's go through a few of the most recent results. Let's start in Texas, where the Mary Harden-Baylor had the men's invitational. They had the women's one, too, and, 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 but I want to talk more about the men th- this episode. Uh, Mary Harden-Baylor wins. They go 272-287. 
um, which is just great plan. It was a par 70, so they ended up shooting one under. University of Texas at Dallas finishes second with a 280-284 for a four-over total. Um, man, just good plan. Uh, Mary Harden, Baylor, and Texas at Dallas would kind of separate themselves. So Texas Lutheran finishes third. Harden-Simmons fourth. East Texas Baptist fifth. Howard Payne f- uh, sixth. Centenary seventh. And Bellhaven eighth. Andrew Balcom uh, from Mary Harden, Baylor wins with a 67-68 five-under total. William Sammons from Mary Harden Baylor goes 66 71 for a three under total. Ryan Kropp from University of Texas at Dallas 68 71. Kate Eldridge from University of Texas at Dallas 70 70. Um, then there was uh, several tied at fifth place at one over. A, a third player from University of Texas at Dallas, but then two Mary Harden Baylor uh, people. Now, I think Mary Harden Baylor had some individuals here, and it's hard to tell right now because it didn't really have the live scoring um, who was what, but it looked like University of Texas at Dallas really needed a four score because if they got in a four score a little bit closer to where the other three were, this might be a little different story. Um, but right now in that Texas, in that conference there, Mary Harden Baylor looks to be the team to beat, and Texas at Dallas appears to be the only people that are really contending with them. Um, so we'll we'll keep watching those those guys perform out in Texas and uh, other places that they're going to be showing up. Next, let's go up to the MEAC, where the men obviously had their conference championship also at Bunker Hill. Uh, same situation, rain in round one. Uh, but the Johnnies from St. John's get out early and stay out. Um, and Gustavus threw everything they could at him the last day. And I think I was you know, messing around a little bit on Twitter. They were going to run out of birdies uh, in the last day at at Bunker Hill because St. John's and Gustavus were just throwing birdie upon birdie upon birdie on each other. I mean, you know, so 140, 147, you know, the first nine holes for St. John's and Gustavus, respectfully. And then St. John's goes 280 on the par 72 in round two. Gustavus shoots a great 288, even par, but eight under for Johnny's. And then the last day when the lead was, you know, 15 shots, uh, St. John's shoots 286, which is two under, and Gustavus goes 11 under 277. Um, so they beat him by nine on that last day and still end up losing by six shots. But, you know, we saw Gustavus down at the NCAA preview, and, and they're they're doing some traveling this year, so... They, look, St. John's Johnnies are in the national championship, and Gustavus is, you know, making a play for, you know, being a Pool C member. Um, and really, they're the only two teams from the conference. Carlton finished third, Concordia fourth, Augsburg fifth, Bethel sixth, St. Olaf seventh, McAllister eighth, and St. Scholastica ninth. On the individual basis, uh, very familiar name here, Gustavus Adolphus, Jacob Peterson, who made nationals an individual last year. Uh, get this, he shoots 11 under par for the two and a half days. He shoots one under 35 on the, for, in round one, then goes 69-65, a seven under 65 on the last day. Uh, he ends up winning by four, even though he got he, over Nate Lockstercamp from St. John's, who shot one under last day, but you know he got beat by six shots and lost by four. So t- tough break for Nate. Uh, good news is Nate's going to nationals, so he's not going to be that upset. 
Uh, Gustavus had a uh, number three player, Max Ulan, from from there. He shoots five under total, 34, 70, 71. And Gustavus has a player tied for fourth. But again, St. John's has another player tied for fourth, solo sixth, tied for seventh, and tenth. Gustavus's other score came in 14th. And, and that's really the biggest that the biggest separator was Gustavus needing that fourth score. Um, you know, if, if they get that four score up there in the top five or 10, like St. John's, it's a, maybe a different story. Um, but really good playing by both teams. I thought both teams played exceptionally well and it was really impressive to watch, but congratulations to the Johnnies. They'll be going to nationals down at mission in, in May. We'll keep our eye on Gustavus and, and start to kind of go back and do some analysis here when we start to dig into pool C. All right, uh, let's go over to the Liberty League uh, in the in the Northeast. Had a fall preview. Uh, they were playing at Turning Stone, Shenandoah, in Verona, New York, where NYU wins with a six-over total, two shots better than Rensselaer Polytechnic. Um, it was really interesting. We saw the University of Rochester guys down at the NCAA preview. Uh, they had finished third, but well back in third. Uh, so NYU really impressive. They go 293 and are two shots back of Renzelar on day one, and then they come back with a 289 and, and flip the script just a little bit. So they were down two, end up winning by two. Uh, Renzelar played really nicely. Uh, so that that'll be uh, you know an interesting process as we watch NYU in that uh, in that conference. Uh, Harry Grosso from Skidmore, who played as an individual, which is always tough. <laughs> He shoots 71-68. I'm, I'm sure Skidmore would have liked to have him in the lineup. Um, that would have helped. A five-under total would have uh, probably moved him up. But Rinslar then has Joey Harrigan, three-under, and then uh, Trent Hand from tied for third with Kevin Kim from NYU, both shot one-under. So really good golf being played in the Northeast. Um, Kerry Wang from University of Rochester finished uh, solo fifth. He was their low person. Uh so, and I think it was a it's a good win by NYU. It sets them up from a conference perspective, and we'll keep our eye because it looks like NYU and Rensselaer probably are the two lead dogs in that conference right now. But we saw Rochester at at the NCAA preview, so we don't really know kind of how that's going to help in Pool C. We'll keep seeing if NYU shows up, and I think NYU is going to play in a couple events. That's going to be, you know, with broader teams out there. So we'll keep watching to see kind of where that those teams stack up in Pool C. Okay, lastly, uh, the State Line Shootout or the uh, the Horizon Conference preview. They had it at Miami Whitewater Forest in Harrison, Ohio. A really good tournament, and it was uh, <laughs> it was very exciting. So Franklin College ends up winning the preview by one over Transylvania. Uh, Rose Holman Institute Technology finishes nine shots back of Transy at in third. Earlham fourth. Mount St. Joe's fifth. Hanover also tied for fifth. Defiance seventh. Bluffton eight. Berea nine. And Anderson tenth. Uh, but this was a a crazy back and forth. Franklin gets out early and goes two ninety six, and they've got a fourteen shot lead going into day two over Rose Holman. Uh, Transy came out in 316, was in the clear third place. Going into the second round, though, Transy comes roaring back with a 293. Franklin 
manages to squeeze out a 312, which gets them the, the win by one shot. Um, Rose Holman came back with a 308. So, you know, Transy comes back in with that 293 on day two, and it was really, really impressive. Um, and they were paced um, really nicely back there by some great individual play. Uh, but just a, a really impressive kind of roar back. But I know Franklin, I know the Franklin guys are pretty pumped because they really haven't been on the top of that list in a while. So congratulations to those guys. But you got to make sure it, it sticks through the spring here. Um, on the individual side, uh, guy from Transy ends up winning, but not who you think. Is it, you know, one of the other guys? No, it's Timothy Alexander from Transy who comes out. I mean, he was, I think he started in there as their fifth guy. In the tournament, so you know, you think in Transy, you're you're you know, your number five guy ends up winning the tournament. You should probably win that tournament, but uh, you know, Reed just had sort of a, a not so good day, and Drew Stoltz also not there. But when your five guy paces you back in, uh, you can make a big move. So Timothy Alexander wins the tournament at a one over total. He goes seventy six sixty seven, and that was by far the best round of the day. Seventy was the second best round of on day two. Uh, which was really, really good playing. Uh, Alan Showalter from Franklin finishes solo second at four over. Uh, Matthew Cadnar from Rose Holman Institute finishes tied for third with Michael McKelvey from Erlen College. Two tied at fifth. Isaac Klempner from Transy played as an individual. Uh, again, lots of individuals playing really well for Transy. They can never get the 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 five the lineup right for the five that are playing well. They're going to be dangerous. Uh, Rose Holman has an individual show up also tied for fifth. So again, that would help them out to get a little closer. So that's why, you know, kind of looking at the results here, you know, there, there's some good playing going on there. We just got to see if they can get the, the lineups, right. Uh, Rose Holman had a bunch of their individuals finish rather high. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll look at them to say, all right, can they get their lineup ready to go and all firing all cylinders by the, by the spring? I think Transy falls into that, into that way too. Okay, the other big tournament was the Wabash Invitational at Broadmoor Country Club. And this was a crazy roller coaster. So uh, a lot of really good teams are were, were at this tournament. So ends up, you end up getting a tie, and I think there was a playoff that I believe Illinois Wesleyan wins. But you get Illinois Wesleyan and Emory tying at first place at two under. Uh so Emory starts off the first round round way behind. They were 296. They come roaring back in day two for 281. And you go 285 in, in round three to tie Illinois Wesleyan. So it's a really, really impressive uh, comeback by Emory. Illinois Wesleyan was rock solid the entire time. They go 284, 292, 286. Carnegie Mellon comes in at third, six over, eight shots back of the tie. 292, 287, 291. I mean, that's good playing. Just you end up finishing third there. Wittenberg, who we've seen a bunch, they finished fourth, five shots back of Carnegie. Again, that's sort of where they're pegged 294, 284, 297. That that seems to be who they are. Really interesting. Washington and Lee gets Greensboro, and they got them on the last day. Uh, Washington and Lee gets Greensboro by four shots, um, and they got them by nine, uh, 11 on the last day. And so it, that's that's it, you know a big time comeback for Washington Lee and hurts Greensboro a little bit, especially when we start looking at Pool C later on. Um, but Denison finishes seventh, Kenyon finishes eighth, 
And we had a couple uh, B squads there, Wabash, DePaul, High Wesley, and some other B squads. But the interesting thing here is, is sort of the top end is Emory got Carnegie Mellon again, and, and Illinois Wesleyan is their Illinois Wesleyan. They don't seem to ever go away. Uh, the best part about this tournament was our guy, Will Knopf, wins the tournament in a four-hole playoff. Uh, he ends up shooting eight under, 69-69-70. So could not be happier for our guy, Will. Uh, he ended up tying with Mark Mitchell from Denison, who also played fabulous, but she, Goes 67, 68, 73, one over on the last day. Uh, so, you know, Will made up three shots on him in the last day, which is tough. But then the Illinois Wesleyan factor comes in. Carl Christensen, Illinois Wesleyan, solo third. Jimmy Morton, Illinois Wesleyan, solo fourth. Will Nummy, Illinois Wesleyan, solo fifth. So that's where Illinois Wesleyan made hay, where Carl goes six under total, Jimmy five under total, Will Nummy three under total. I mean, for Pete's sake, even Parr got you tied for 11th in this tournament. So there are birdies all over the place. Uh, Logan Ryan from Emory finished his tied for 6th, 2 under, with several other players. Armand Olouet from Kenyon College, Michael Rosenblum from Emory, and J.F. Aber from Wittenberg University. Uh, Max Schwartz from Emory finishes solo 10th at 1 under. Uh, so really good playing by lots of players out there, but this one had some impact because of who you had there, especially when you compare that to the NCAA preview and sort of how things stacked up. This is a big deal, right? Like, okay, this starts to get us into what's going to happen at nationals later this year. All right. So let's start talking about sort of the national picture for the men. All right. So first I'm going to apologize. I didn't have as much information on the ladies side as I do on the men's side, I'm going to make sure that that gets remedied here for the, the going into the spring this year. But for the men's side, so like I was talking about this earlier, there's a calculation. So you have the how many total eligible members and then how many automatic qualifying members. So if your conference has so many teams that play golf, like that gets you an automatic qualifier. And then there's a bunch of math that they kind of calculate and go, all right, well, of all the AQ members and how many AQs, divide that. That's eight and, you know, something here and divide those things out. And then you get the, how many independent schools divided by that number gets you how many pool B spots. So that's kind of how it works here is, all right, here's how this works. So there's some math going on here. And we'll get more into that when we have that detailed information for certain. But if you remember last year, we had just a very small pool C and it was very tight. So what's this year going to look like? From what I'm hearing, we're going to have a normal year of nationals. So last year had last year been a normal year of nationals. We'd have gotten three pool B teams and nine pool C teams. Okay, so let's take a look at that. And let's really focus on pool B. So I'm going to call out five pool B teams that are relatively at the top, right? Where are they? The lowest group on that list is is Wisconsin Eau Claire. They're a pool B team. Um, they didn't have the best time at the NCAA preview. That's going to hurt them in pool B because they got outpaced pretty nicely by other pool B teams that were there. The other pool B team that we really haven't seen because they've only played one tournament in the fall so far is Trinity, Texas. So Trinity out of San Antonio, they've only played, they only played one tournament in September. Now I think they're going to play it twice in October, which will be, you know, we have to keep, keep watching them because 
They performed great last year, but being in Pool B is not exactly the easiest place to be, especially if you're not going to be at some of these bigger tournaments. Now, we'll watch it at Golf Week and in Destin and some of those things, but the bigger issue here is the three Pool B teams right now that are kind of vying for who's on top. And honestly, I would rather be the top Pool B team, not the bottom Pool B team. So when you look at that, there's three big contenders in there. There's Emery, Carnegie Mellon, and Babson. Now we saw Babson show up at at Royal Lakes and blitz the field. And they already had another win on their under their belt. So all of a sudden, Babson's got a pretty nice head-to-head record on a lot of good teams. I mean, they beat Oglethorpe and Swanee and a bunch of those people. So they're, they're now in the mix. The other big issue here is Carnegie Mellon and Emory have gone head-to-head a lot. They're at the NCAA preview, and we just talked about them at Wabash. And I believe both are going to be at Carnegie Mellon's hosting of Laurel Valley. Well, here's the problem. Carnegie Mellon's down two. They're 0-2 against Emory so far. So going into Laurel Valley, like they need to get Emory here like to make sure that they can kind of put their stamp on Pool B. Uh, we don't know how many teams are going to come from which pool yet. And if it were me, I'm focused on making sure we get the f- number one pool B spot. So, you know, that's something interesting to we have to kind of keep watching. The other thing is, is kind of looking at schedules. I don't know that Babson is going to run across Emory or Carnegie at any time soon. So it's going to kind of be comparing what other things you have. And that sometimes can be even more difficult for the committees to make sure that they understand and have locked in. But right now, Emory's got the upper hand in Pool B. If I'm Emory, I'm feeling pretty good about Pool B because it feels like we're going to be one or two and we'll get at least one or two Pool B teams in. I think we'll get three. And there's a chance we get four, but I just don't think it'll be four. I think you'll probably get three Pool B teams. Now, the good news is, you know, Christopher Newport's and other people that have kind of come into that spot, um, you know, That'll be fine, and, and they have a chance to kind of creep up there and get in. But also, Pool C is not – when we have nine Pool C spots or, you know, seven Pool C pool C spots, it, it gets a little easier. So um, it, it's just one of those things where, all right, I think we'll get 10 to 11 at-large bids into the national championship. So that could be three and seven, two and eight, four and – Six could be four and seven. It could be that that's the kind of view that I think everybody should take away. So let's talk a little bit about Pool C. So Pool B's got, you know, some interesting teams in there. Christopher Newport, that I kind of forgot of in there. They're a good team. They'll be in the mix. Um, but again, if I'm looking at that, I'm almost, if I'm Christopher Newport, I, I might be more focused on Pool C than Pool B. Because to me, right now, Babson. Emory and Carnegie sort of have the lead in Pool B. All right, let's talk about Pool C. All right, so if we go out to the West regions, right? Willamette seems to have sort of the Northwest Conference lockdown for the men. Uh, you know, Mary Harden Baylor seems to have a pretty good set ready to go. University of Texas Dallas can challenge a little bit in the American Southwest. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of see who comes out of the Southern California region. We haven't focused on them a ton, uh, but you know, Claremont is always good, you know, Redlands, Laverne. So those schools are going to be in there. Uh, you know, and then when we get to pool B, you have Trinity in that region. That's probably the only pool B team that's really going to be in that space. You know, in the South, 
you get, you know, okay, here's where Pool C sort of gets uh, it, a lot of its heavy hitters, right? So you have the ODAC, where you have Hampton, Sydney, Washington, and Lee. Okay, I, I, you know, Guilford's down this year. They had the four seniors that graduated last year. I, I think Washington and Lee, from everything I've seen, is sort of the class of the ODAC. Now, Hampton, Sydney can play, and we'll keep watching them as we get later here in the fall and into the spring. But that's sort of, you know, Washington and Lee, Hampton, Sydney, probably it in the ODAC. The USA South is where all the problems are, right? There you've got Greensboro, Huntington, Methodist, Piedmont, Averett, okay, LaGrange. Now, I think when you look at that and you look at contenders here, it's Greensboro, Huntington, Methodist, and Piedmont is now a little bit more on the outside. I'd like to, they haven't had the best fall, but they have some quality that we know can show up in the spring. And really, it's about winning conference than that one. If you can go in there and win that conference tournament, you're in. But so you're looking at at least two Pool C teams there out of the USA South. Then you also have the SAA where you've got Oglethorpe and Suwannee, or otherwise known as University of the South. They've they've kind of separated themselves out a little bit. I know Rhodes and our, our guy Tom Campbell down there. They're young and kind of up and coming. Barry's had a good early fall, but then they've shown up a couple other places and haven't performed as well. So Barry's still a team that I would keep your eye on as we kind of get into late fall, early spring. Uh, but that looks like it's going to be either Oglethorpe or Suwannee. And, you know, when you look at Royal Lakes, Oglethorpe got them there. NCAA preview, Suwannee gets them there. So they're probably one-to-one. But they also both finished pretty high up in those tournaments to where they've got some good wins over some other teams like the Denisons of the world and other teams that we're talking about across Pool C. So that's sort of important. As we get to the Northeast... You know, there's a lot there. I think when you look at Williams and Amherst and those kinds of schools, yes, I think some of those are going to be automatic qualifiers, but there's no probably Pool C teams coming out of out of the Northeast, really. I just don't see anybody kind of stepping out into Pool C at a large pace. There's not anybody else that's been in there other than University of Rochester, NYU, Rensselaer, Polytech. I think those three are probably the main culprits in that entire region that actually come out into Pool C. And right now, University of Rochester didn't look close in the, in the Liberty, Liberty League preview. Um, so, you know, NYU and Rensselaer show up and play really well. Okay. But again, we got to get them into some other tournaments so that they've got some Pool C wins. We go to the Mid-Atlantic. You know, that's where we've got the Pool B teams of Carnegie Mellon, Christopher Newport, and Babson, right? Like, okay, we know they're there, but looking around for other Pool C teams, you know, there's just not a lot there. I just, I don't see a Pool C team coming out of anywhere else in that region. So there's two regions that aren't getting Pool C teams, in my opinion. You get to the Great Lakes region, okay, now here's where we're going to have some conversations. So, like, when you look at the North Coast Athletic Conference, Denison and Wittenberg are both really good, right? But if Wittenberg, who has performed exceptionally well early on in the fall, if they end up winning that conference, it might hurt Denison's chances because Denison's got some got some losing records to several teams, right? They 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 finished middle of the pack in the NCAA preview, didn't necessarily finish that high at Wabash. Okay, that's going to hurt their chances in Pool C. They're still a really good team, and they got a chance to do everything they need to do in the spring. But that's why I'm trying to kind of talk about this early on this in the fall because, hey, look, th- this stuff matters. And if you can get things turned around enough 
here in the late fall to get yourself back to even par with some of the teams that you're vying with against in Pool C, that's really what matters. You know, I think if you look at Transy and some of those other schools in the Heartland, you know, some of the performances out of, out of some of those bigger tournaments hasn't been that great to where I don't see anybody there having a record that over anybody, any of the other teams from the other regions that's going to help push them over the edge. So I think if you're Rose Holman, Franklin, Transy, you better win that conference because I'm not so sure that they're going to have the record against some of the bigger teams like from the South or from the West or from the, the Midwest, you know, the Gustavuses of the world. That's where you go, okay, you know, if we have everybody at a tournament like the one like the one in French Lick later this year, that, okay, there's a good example of you got to beat some of these teams from the other regions, you know. I mean – Barry came up to Transy's event and won that, and, and Greensboro performed really well. There's an opportunity that Transy had to put a win on a couple of those teams so that they get stuck in Pool C. Okay, well, when are you going to see them again? That's going to be the challenge, you know, like Jekyll Island in the spring. Lots of teams go there. Big opportunity for people to get a, a one back on people at Jekyll Island. You know, uh, golf week, there's going to be a whole bunch of opportunities. So French Lick again. So that's where you kind of keep looking like, okay, you know, the OAC we talked about earlier, I, I don't see a Pool C team there either. So, you know, I think Denison, Wittenberg are probably your Pool C candidates, you know, in there. And, and you kind of go, okay, well, who else? You, you know, last one is the central region. Okay, you know, I'm looking there. Gustavus, I think, has got a good argument. Uh, you know, at the, the SLEAC, the St. Louis, all right, well, Webster's in there. Knox and a couple other schools are in that St. Louis intercollegiate, but if Webster wins, okay, fine. You know, the CCIW of Illinois, Wisconsin, Illinois Wesleyan appears to be the class of that group, but you know, if they were to lose conference for some reason, which I don't expect, well, they're in no matter what at this point. They've had too many good performances so far in the big, big tournaments. But if anybody else is looking for pool C, you know, I love my guys at Milliken, but, you know, and, and the, my friends at Carthage as well. But, you know, I, I just don't see Pool C right now. And that's one of the reasons why I'm kind of having this conversation is to make sure that all the teams that are out there, you guys understand, hey, like, these things matter. And you better get ready to start performing, to start really pushing hard to make sure that you have a good winning record against many of those Pool C teams as we look at. And so that's... That's where we have to kind of keep looking. And now we're not going to get golf stat rankings until like middle of November. So here at D3 Golf Guys, we're going to keep, you know, we're going to keep kind of talking about this stuff because this is what really matters. We've got enough tournaments now and enough cross-regional tournaments to really kind of start looking around and pointing out, okay, Pool C is getting filled up pretty quickly. Where are you in that list and are you happy with that? And if you're not, Better get to getting things done on the golf course. All right. Well, again, uh, thank you to all of you for listening and participating. We're going to keep uh, driving some new content. and It's got some new partners that we're working to line up. But uh, as always, hit them straight. Cheers.